This is episode 10 with Igor Litvak and the fear of money. Welcome to Fearless University, the podcast where we discuss, dissect, and examine some of life's greatest fears. My name is Coach Lane Lee, performance coach and fear psychology enthusiast, here to help you understand your greatest fears. Fear is my passion, curiosity is my nature, and understanding is the gift I seek to share with all who will listen. Because if we seek to understand more, we can learn to fear less. Welcome to another episode of Fear Less You. Each episode, I feature a new guest who lends their special brand of wisdom and expertise to help me unlock the mysteries of fear. What we discuss is not an exact science, but in all things, we seek understanding. Because it's not about being void of fear, but instead, understanding more to fear fear itself less. I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. Wherever you're listening, be sure to like and share this episode if you find it helpful or entertaining. And be sure to turn on your notifications so you know exactly when a new episode drops. And as always, be sure to rate and review us wherever you find us. By doing so, you're helping our placement and ranking in search results. Help me touch the lives of millions of people around the world, helping them to understand more and in turn, fear less. I hope you guys are ready for a fun episode because today I'm talking with longtime family friend Igor Litvak. Igor is a math whiz, data analyst, fixed income trader, and financial expert by day. In his off hours, he's an all-around paleo fitness and wellness enthusiast, a topic we actually end up taking a quite extensive tangent on, but that's for a separate episode. It's funny because the morning of our interview, I was in the shower getting ready and I thought to myself, wait a minute, Igor is amazing at finances and math, but he's passionate about fitness and health. We should be talking about that. But yeah, so he'll be returning soon for another episode strictly about wellness, health, and fitness. But today we're talking about the fear of money. When it comes to his knowledge and wisdom as a financial expert, Igor is all too humble. But as someone who always sets out to be and give his best simply because he accepts nothing less from himself, five minutes with Igor and you'll quickly learn that his humility is just another asset to his personality and that he truly does know his stuff. We talk about why we as humans have such a hard time talking about money with our families, our spouses, our kids, and especially ourselves. We talk about how money is emotional and why it's important for you to understand that concept. We talk about six money myths that keep you in a place of fear when it comes to money. And finally, and this is the part you'll for sure want to stick around for, Igor drops three actionable steps you can take today to help you better understand your fears about money and how to outperform those fears. I am super excited about today's episode and the subject matter. If you struggle with a fear of money or money troubles in your life, your marriage, your relationship, your career, this is the episode for you and I'm super excited to have Igor talking about it. So without further ado, I present to you Mr. Igor Litvak. 
Let's go! What's going on, guys? Coach Lane here, Fearless University. I'm super excited today because uh, not only is it my first in-person interview, uh, but I've got my friend Igor Litvak. What's up, brother? I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. Like <laughs> now that we're in person. Yeah. Now I'm in person. I finally get to like actually shake hands with with uh, my you know my guests. So yeah, dude. So Igor is here today to discuss the fear of money and boy do we have a show for you guys so i hope you're ready grab your pens and pencils it's going to be exciting but let's jump right into it dude um yeah tell us a little about who you are well first before we do that i'll I'll give people a little bit of a background so igor and i met through my wife you are my wife's best friend and uh you and i have now known each other for like 10 years which is kind of crazy yeah but um yeah man so tell us a little bit about who you are and uh your financial experience uh so i was a uh, i was a math major in uh, undergrad and then i got a master's in finance financial analysis uh from the university of san francisco go dons woo 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 um when I got out of school, I graduated my undergrad right in 2008, so December 2008, which arguably the worst time ever to find mm. a job in finance. Right. And so I went straight into the master's. Uh, after that, worked in private equity for a little while, um, and then I worked at uh, Thomson Reuters as like a data analyst, and then I got my first trading job, um, so trading fixed income, so bonds. Uh, I did that for around five years. And now I work for a uh, fixed income trading platform. So it's basically um, like a software that's a marketplace where it hooks up buyers and sellers of bonds, but like on an institutional level. So like min- millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, in terms of personal finance background, I uh, feel like if you study it as much as I did, usually pretty decent at it. Right. Pick it up from... Everybody on the street talking, um, street like Wall Street talk, and it's just it's a uh, it's like a different attitude when you work in finance. Right. Um, everybody just talks about it much more openly, and the exchange of information is a lot smoother and cleaner. Mm-hmm. There's a lot less um, ambiguity and less of like taboo around talking about money. Um, you know, plenty of people will disagree, but the majority of guys in finance are there to make money. Like that's yeah, right. That's why I got into finance. Like, yeah, that, that's the, like, the the lure. Yeah, like oh, okay, I'm a math major. How am I going to turn this into money? That's, <laughs> that's the idea. Yeah. I'm going to turn numbers into bigger numbers. And, yeah, you know, exactly. Actually, Multiplication. Uh, how much of of what we see? It's it's funny that you brought brought it up. How about how communication in that world? is better exchange of information is better about money because i think that's the whole reason that we're doing this episode is because uh people have such poor communication skills with their family members with their spouses uh just in general even with their you know like let's say you know you have an accountant um that's probably the only time that you're actually being forced to discuss money openly in your everyday life but um, 
just real quick for my own curiosity, like how much of the financial world in real life is what we see depicted in, in movies and television? Mm, 15%. <laughs> Oh, really? All the stuff you see in the movies is a lot of flash, a yeah. lot of like, if you're watching a movie about trading, uh, you know, you're watching Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, and you're watching like Trading Places, and, yeah. and all this stuff, you're seeing like a lot of the institutional side, so a lot of the the day-to-day, what's it like working on a desk, on a trading desk, or you're watching investment bankers, a lot of that is is important, and a lot of that stuff, like when it's just coming to institutional information that's you know 90 percent, 80 percent accurate but when it gotcha. comes to personal finance you never see that in movies all you ever see is potentially a family going bankrupt and losing their house like over the last 10 years has been the theme after the collapse but right that's that's all you really see but you never you're never watching a movie where you know the you know the hero goes through this journey uh where he or she um you know has some doubt about their finances or loses their money and then how do they shave down their debt? How do they rebalance their debt with like lower interest rates? Um, how do they look at their spending and then how do they come out of that hole and then how do they eventually prosper? I mean, you never you never see that kind of thing. So people yeah. have no idea how that actually works. Yeah. And they always think that it's really complicated. Um, but it's really it's really quite easy. Which I think only adds to the angst that people have about dealing with money. Which only adds to their fear. Yeah, I mean, people people just don't talk about it, and yeah. that's that's the biggest problem. Is you know they say the key to any relationship is communication. And, For sure. You know, people aren't communicating about it. Period. You know, parents aren't communicating to their kids. Spouses aren't communicating with one another. Um, I read this a while ago, like around forty percent, something like that. Some ridiculous number. Yeah. Forty percent of couples don't know what the other spouse makes wow. like per year. Wow. Which to me is just insane. Yeah. Um, you know, you're sharing your life together, you have kids together, you have like all these intimate factors in your lives mm-hmm. together as a couple, and yet you don't know what the other person makes. Um, so that's that's pretty wild. And also, like, especially when you do have kids and you're thinking about, you know, helping my kid in the future, building up college savings, things like that. I mean, it's these are all conversations that need to happen, but they rarely do happen. For sure. Uh, because it's this like culture of, of fear that you're growing up with. And you know, a little bit of it, and, and it's fear in like many different respects. Fear of it um, could be fear of being judged, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, oh, you make 50 grand, I make 70 grand, that's it, I'm better than you. Or um, the fear of seeming uneducated, mm-hmm. right? So somebody will say, oh, how many, how many months of expenses do you have in your reserves? And you'll be like, what? Right. And then you'll be like, oh my God, like I didn't know that. Or like, you know what? Uh, what was your portfolio return last year? And you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I have like a share of Apple stock or whatever. So it's just, you know, people just are afraid of being uneducated. Yeah. And then the other thing, and this, this like bugs me to no end, is people are afraid of offending one another. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, like, what if I make more money than he does, or what if I make more money than she does? Like, am I gonna offend them? Um, and this, this always makes me think of uh, the quote from Golden Mayer, don't be humble. You're not that great. Right. <laughs> Majority of the time, you're probably making the same amount of money. And even if you're not like who, who cares? Like, right. It just doesn't matter. Right. 
Wow, man, that's, that's a lot. Anyway, so. No, no, that's 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 great, and and I I want to take a a quick second to apologize to the listeners. I know it's a little uh, echoey in here. Um, we're doing the best with what we're given. Um, I had two mics set up; only one is currently working. Uh, but we're getting it. We're getting it figured out. So I apologize if it's a little echoey in your speakers. We'll get that worked out for next time. But uh, but moving on, like what what interests you about the financial world? Like I guess. From my perspective, is it more than just the lifestyle, but like, is there a deeper desire, maybe even a, a subconscious one to like, to help people understand money better? I definitely love to do that for family and friends. Mm. Otherwise I think of finance as a competition. So okay. the reason why I'm in finance is because it's a very, I guess, basic and in some ways clean way of competing. Um, especially as a trader, you know, how much money did you make this year? What was your return this year? So that's, that's a very clean cut way of comparison across like a trading desk, for example. Um, and then I also like it for, for, I guess the purity of it because it's a quantitative measure and less qualitative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I got into finance. Um, the other side of it, I, I also got into it for the lifestyle. Yeah. I like having a comfortable lifestyle. I really enjoy fast cars. Um, so that's why I began and got into this whole thing was just to feed this addiction to cars. Gotcha. Um, but then it slowly kind of turns into, well, how much can I make? How much gotcha. can I attain? Um, it's much like the, you know, the richest guys in the world, the billionaires, they don't need any extra money to buy anything with it. Right. For them, it's a gain of just collecting. It's like a it's like a massive stamp collection. Yeah. Or at least I think. I don't know. I'm not a billionaire. <laughs> well, you're definitely one of the most no competitive worry. people that I know in a in a good way. I think it's in a it's it's a way that's always um, kind of you know low key like inspired me to say you know like Thanks, it's man. it's all about um, you know my theme since last year january of 2017 it's been stick to the plan and uh you know you've known me over the years and and i was i felt personally kind of unfocused in my last um venture and with this it's the exact opposite it's like this hyper focus and working with athletes i can appreciate uh someone who looks at what they do as a healthy form of competition and and always trying to better themselves so i think it's i think it's a cool way of looking at it yeah, it's uh, money is a good way of comparing. I guess it's hard to even say comparing people yeah. against one another because it's such a poor measurement. It's just the best that we have psychologically come up with to mm. this point. Mm-hmm. And even saying the best is is not a hundred percent there. You right. know, so it's money is a good measurement when you don't have anything else to measure. It's kind of the idea. It's also universal yardstick, so that's helpful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would think that it's much more important to be a really good father, <laughs> yeah, for example. Right, right, right. So I don't have any kids yet, but, <laughs> you know, that will definitely... And again, that'll just be something that I'm going to compete in as well. Oh, yeah, That'll be sure. another thing. Yeah. Um, and Which will be really fun to see. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> Loads of fun. We'll see. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's... It's sick in a way that, you know, people are always using money as a comparison. Yeah. And especially in America, it's all about how much you spend. 
mm-hmm. not how much you make. Mm-hmm. So it's almost not even that important how much you make. It's how much did you spend? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what kind of car you have, what kind of house you have, jewelry, whatever. I mean, whatever it is. And so that, that kind of like, that almost makes the competition worse. It makes the competition less pure because yeah. then you're, you're not so much competing for, you know, how can I, you know, how can I make more returns? It's competing of, in a way that it's kind of like, what's going to be the most impressive thing. Mm. And that's like a, that's like a lost game. Like yeah. that game will never be won by anybody. It's always like, like keeping up with the Joneses, like whatever your typical analogy would be for that. But it's just, you know, you're always like, oh, okay, well I got this Ferrari. I got the Ferrari 458, but then the Ferrari 488 just came out. And then it'll be the Ferrari, whatever, 515. And then, so you're just, you're always like trying to chase down. And that's, that shit is exhausting. And it's just, you know, I don't know. I think this is, this is a great uh, point to bring up. There's an actual movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called The Joneses with Demi Moore and David Duchovny. I've heard it. I've seen like the trailer. You, you need to watch it because yeah. it's exactly, I don't want to give it away to anybody who's listening who hasn't seen it, but they're, they're a seemingly perfect couple. Uh, with, you know, two perfect kids and they move into this neighborhood and kind of turn it on its head with all their like fancy, shiny new stuff. And mm. again, not wanting to give away too much, but let's just say that the twist as to who they really are is yeah. an amazing commentary on consumer culture. Yeah. And it's, it's, you see that theme throughout the movie that it's like, you know, Oh yeah, well, um, I I went ahead and got this new car because you know because you know Mr. Jones had it. Next thing you know, next day Mr. Jones has the next newest car, <laughs> right. and you're like, well, what the heck was all this for? Then like you right. know this. So it really is a a poor way of of comparing ourselves and our achievements to one another. But yeah. historically, it seems to be the way that we've always done it as as human beings. We've come up with monetary denominations and then judged each other based on who has more of those denominations so yeah it's a very it's a very primitive way it really is it's just we're we're just a bunch of savages really running around <laughs> in uh in skinny jeans yeah and, there you go uh, and blazers like we you know at the end of the day like this is the best that you have yeah like thousands of years of human evolution and this is the best this that we've is, come up with right, right you know i don't i don't know it's shaky at best so (laughs) well uh on this show i have a central theme like a tagline if you will if we seek to understand more we can learn to fear less so to me it seems that people are fearful of that which they do not fully understand you know like seneca the younger was a stoic philosopher um tim ferris mentions him a lot um, but he once said that we suffer more in imagination than in reality. Mm-hmm. And I believe that to be all the more true when it comes to fear and understanding. Uh, people have said for decades that people fear that which they do not understand. And this is what tends to fuel our distrust of things, you know, mm-hmm. other cultures, religions, ethnicities, and in today's case, money. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know I've had a, tumultuous past with money uh, at best. Uh, I'm thankfully beginning to get a much better grasp on it and how I manage it poorly. But I know that there are many people listening who still feel that it's, it's something to be feared. Mm. You know, like 
when we were having our, our pre-interview call, right off the bat, you brought up that statistic that you already mentioned, you know, with uh, the 40% of uh, American spouses who don't know what their partners make. Um, this caught my attention because I think in that moment, I felt like I had been exposed. Like 10 <laughs> years, I've, I've been with my wife for... 10 years, like we've been married three, but this, you know, we've, we've lived together for a large portion of that time. And I know that this is something she's brought up many times and I've tried to examine it myself. Like, why do I have this problem of communicating with her about money? Mm. Um, thinking back on my upbringing, money was never something I heard my parents discuss openly. Right. Or even in private. Like, I just never heard them talk about money. There was never a discussion about money in our house. Like, it was either the perception that my dad was having a great season or year. And we were just buying things and going on vacations left and right. And then on the flip side, things would get tight and we would be cutting back. Mm -hmm. But there was never a discussion in the family about the why or what was actually going on. So... Um, I remember being told that it was impolite to discuss money with people, mm-hmm. uh, what you make or how much you paid for something. Uh, when it came to saving and setting money aside, my dad helped my brother, my younger brother. Mm-hmm. I remember when my brother got his first job, my dad was like, okay, you're going to partition your paycheck mm-hmm. and you're going to this much, just pretend that you don't even have the mm-hmm. full paycheck you have this much to spend and then all of this goes into like a dedicated you know high interest savings account or something like that right but it was never as the older sibling eldest sibling it was never something that was really emphasized he mentioned it like you, you should do this out, dude. you should got, got left out. you're the eldest <laughs> and you know i was like hey pop like what's going on like you know um so and I know money is important to my dad, but I also know that, you know, he's had his struggles with it over the years. He's, you know, had his own businesses and stuff like that. And he's, he's very well to do now, but, and I think he's, he's better off now mentally thinking about it. But yeah, that was pretty much my experience growing up. And I know that at least I feel maybe, you know, I'm a little naive, but I feel that people listening may have had similar situations where they just didn't discuss it. So, why do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that, let's start with spouses. Why do you think mm-hmm. that among spouses, uh, we don't talk about money? And why do you think that money isn't more regularly discussed in the family setting as well? So I think it's just a social taboo. I think society has deemed it, like you said, impolite. And a lot of people think that way and they don't want to be impolite. And so that's part of it. The other part is, is they don't want to be judged. Mm. Um, they don't want to be compared and they don't want to be seen as the loser. Um, and in many ways it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not the right way to look at it. Right. Being judged is nothing to be ashamed of. People are being judged all the time, all day, everywhere you go. Yeah. Like I always, I was, uh, love, uh, those guys that get tattoos, only God can judge me. Right. That's not right. Right. Everybody's judging you at every moment. And by getting that day. tattooed, you're yeah. inviting And then you're that inviting judgment. judgment as well. It's yeah. just everybody's being judged all the time. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. That's how we survive as a, as a race. 
Right. That's, you know, human beings have learned to judge their surroundings and figure things out as we go based off previous experiences. And so you're constantly, it's just like a supercomputer. Your brain is just like processing all this data all the time, judging all kinds of situations. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And so I think that because it's so ingrained in our minds from a young age that it's impolite, Mm. that people as they get older, they think that they're more mature Therefore, they're going to do the most mature thing, which is to be polite. Mm. And so then they just never end up talking to anybody about money. And then at the end of the day, they realize that they don't know anything about money. Right. They don't have anybody to talk to about it. They've never been taught anything. And then they're just on a boat in the middle of the ocean without an oar. Right. And so the best way to do this kind of thing that people need to do is to have smaller conversations first. Like a good conversation to have with somebody would be, Hey, did you uh, did you hear about this sale going on at Macy's? Like, I got those uh, shoes for like fifteen percent off, and they'll be like, "Oh, really? Like, that's cool. I'll go pick that up as well." And then you can start thinking about, you know, where else can can I take advantage of like a sale or take advantage of a situation like that? And you start sharing those things. And as people get more comfortable, I was just starting with your spouse. Mm. Um, as people get more comfortable with that kind of thing. Um, and it's also important to remember to not look at that kind of like, hey, I was smart enough to see that 15% sale. Right. So I got it and you didn't kind of right, thing. Right, right. You need to present it and communicate it. It's not what you're saying. It's how you're saying. So just say it in such a way like, oh, hey, I got this great deal. I want to share with you. Like I want you to know about it as well in case you wanted those same shoes so that you can partake in it. And then you take baby steps and then you say like, oh, hey, like how do you think about your investments for the future. Like, are you using your 401k? Are you doing IRA contributions? Um, are you doing those things every year? I am. Here's wow. how I'm thinking about it. And then what are you doing with that IRA money? Is it in a CD? Are you managing yourself by buying stocks and things like that? And eventually, hey, what's your portfolio looking like? And then eventually you'll just be like, this is how much I make. These are my, here's my bank statement um, kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's baby stepping your way there, but it's very important conversations to be having with Especially the loved ones in your life, and then also people that you look up to as a mentor. Yeah. Um, because people have all kinds of information that they're just not sharing. Yeah. You know, knowledge here is is power more more than anything. Exactly. Is this the the method methodology you've employed in your personal life when talking to family and friends and, and uh, you know those close to you about money? Yeah, absolutely. Um, growing up, I my family was very open about money. Uh, we talked about it all the time as a kid growing up. Um, you know, when we came to America, I immigrated from Russia when I was three. Mm. When we came here, we had ninety dollars. Wow! Across everybody. Wow! And then my parents opened several businesses throughout their lives, uh, and then because of certain circumstances, things went south on the family. And so, around the age of eighteen, my family went bankrupt. Mm. To the point where, like, the repo man was coming to to take my mom's BMW. Wow. Yeah, th- this was a funny story. Segway. Segue. <laughs> Let's do it. So my mom had um, my mom had this, like, uh, the 7 Series, the big body BMW. Right. And so we couldn't make the payments on that car anymore. And so the repo man started coming around at night to, like, take my mom's car. So it was my job at the time to make sure that every night my mom's car was, like, hidden inside the garage. Wow. So the repo man couldn't take it. Right. And so we knew that it was the right thing to do to give it back. We just like, my mom needed a car. Yeah. And so eventually, like finally, you know, after like a few months, I think, of this dance back and forth, um, I left the car outside and I left the repo man a note, kind of like, hey, sorry about this. Like, if you want to knock on the door, I'll just give you the key. 
you don't have to like whatever shimmy the car to, <laughs> to get in. I'm sure he had a key already or whatever, or he was afraid if he opens if he knocks on the door, he's gonna be a shotgun on the other end or something. Right, right. So I never got the never got the knock on the door where the car was gone the next morning. Um, so and then so all these experiences, so it's kind of like we had nothing, then we had a lot, and then we had nothing again, and working way back up from zero. That really taught me that there's nothing to be ashamed of, there's nothing to be embarrassed of. You know, initially when the family went bankrupt, obviously we didn't want to tell anybody, but you know, you couldn't hide that kind of thing. Yeah. And nor did I want to. You know, hiding it makes it feel worse. You're like yeah. hiding the secret, and it's just going to erupt. Um, and, and and there's no shame in it. I mean, you know, businesses turn south, things go against you, and and that's how it goes. And it's just people need to feel empowered to speak about it. You know, sure. and when you speak about it it'll actually lessen your own burden. So like you were saying, like your father had money troubles. It doesn't have to be trouble. Right. It doesn't have to be a problem if you're sharing it with your family and your loved ones. That's what they're there for. It's a support system. You know, use that support system. And the interesting thing was it taught me other things, like other valuable lessons, but in regard to money and money management and like what happens if, you know, I get into the same, you know, uh, scenario i almost said trouble it's just a matter of like it's funny it's how i it's how i coach actually it's all about changing the internal dialogue or the the words that we use absolutely you know what i mean like because you know words people say that you know words are just words but we have specific words for specific things for specific reasons to call like you were saying the brain is a making thousands upon thousands hundreds of thousands of calculations per minute and taking in all this information. So our brains are, you know, learning to take shortcuts from the time we're born. And so words have, uh, they're the direct link to those shortcuts basically for your brain. So it's funny. I almost said money troubles, but yeah, he, he, him going through those things definitely taught me, um, perseverance. It taught me never to give up. It taught me to believe in my own dreams and pursue my own path. But at the same time, let's say I, I get into similar situations financially, it would have been helpful to have those conversations as well, which it's not too late. We can still have those conversations, but yeah, you know, at least now I'm learning how to kind of broach the subject with them. And, and uh, you know, I saw this quote or this uh, exchange last night that it was really cool. It was on uh, Tyler Harris's um, Instagram page. And he was sharing a conversation that he had with uh, a, a group of guys that they, I think, recently met with and they're holding each other accountable. And one of the guys was like, hey, I'm here with this other group of guys and I feel like a total island. Like, you know, they're over there talking and and I'm kind of over here not really having a conversation with them. And Tyler and this other guy got back to him and said, look, you know, do you mind if I give you some feedback? And he was like, yeah, of course. And, you know, paraphrasing, of course, but they were basically like, you know, you need to be the captain of the conversation. You, you, right now, you're acting like the coach, which is how these guys met you and knew you, that you were giving information and feedback and they had the choice to, you know, quote unquote, obey or not. And that's not really a way to have a conversation. It's like where you're teaching or preaching at somebody. Instead, you want to be the captain. People lift the captain up. People will follow the captain down to the bottom of the ocean with the ship. Like people believe in a captain. And I think that those tools and and recommendations you just gave are great because they're teaching you listeners. They're teaching you guys how to captain the conversations in your family, um, in your relationships so that you can have these 
open moments and these vulnerable moments with uh, with people. I think that's great, man. Yeah. Um, there's something I wanted to bring up. There's, there's. I think we we all know that there is a famous scripture that's misquoted from the Bible regarding money, oh. in which the verse reads, "For the love of money is the root of all evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through." It's in First mm-hmm. Timothy six ten. We know that this was intended to be a word of caution against greed. Mm-hmm. But I find it interesting how now it's a misnomer, right? Where it's simply quoted as money is the root of all evil. I don't know if you've heard that version. But uh, that's that's the, first the popular. Version, no, I've heard money is the root of all right, evil. Right, right. Yeah. So that's that's the common misconception about that quote or that, that misquote, I should say. So what effect do you think that this misrepresentation, because, you know, we have a lot of those in, in the English language where something is misquoted and then that misquote becomes more popular than the actual intention of the, of the quote. So what do you, what effect do you think this misrepresentation misrepresentation has had on the general population uh, who don't know the origins of the quote or moreover uh, who don't have the benefit of knowing what the quote was originally cautioning against? Sure. It's, you know, it's a game of telephone. And it's a lot more sensational to say money is the root of all evil. And yeah. So people love a more dramatic interpretation of anything and everything. Yeah, sure. Um, for example, the news. I don't ever watch the news because yeah. all it is is just like a constant... Um, Beratement, you know, barrage. Of basically. everything. Yeah, of yeah. everything. Everything yeah. is completely blown out of proportion. And they're only feeding me what they think that I should be learning. Or for sure. What I should be... What I should think is important, like, oh, Africanized killer bees carrying Zika are coming to a town near you. It's just, <laughs> just it's, it's useless and they're not coming and it's really yeah. not a big of a deal. And I'm sure it's, uh, it's just going to completely blow over. Sensationalism. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a lot of it is, is that is just. Um, trying to sensationalize everything, but more than anything, people always are trying to look for, um, what I, you know, what I call like the bad guy, Mm. you know, they're looking for the bad guy in the room. Uh, one of my favorite scenes ever, uh, is from Scarface. Mm. So Al Pacino, um, towards the end of the movie. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to ruin it for everybody, but look, if you haven't seen Scarface by By now, now, I mean, come on, it's, it's going to be ruined for you. Um, (laughs) So he's, he's in the restaurant and uh, he's completely coked up and he's just like sitting there with like his trophy wife and, you know, his like bodyguard or whatever. And he's like making a big scene. It's just like a super fancy restaurant. He's making a big scene. And they come over and they ask him to leave. And then he's like, oh, don't touch me. Don't touch me. And he starts like talking to the people in the restaurant who are all staring at him. And paraphrasing, he's basically like, you know, you're looking at me as the bad guy, mm. but you need me. Mm. You need me to be the bad guy. So that you can point and be like, that's the bad guy. Very true. And it's very much with like money. People are pointing like, oh, money is the reason for all of our troubles. Whether they, you know, for all of our troubles, for all of our triumphs and everything. All the evils of the world. All the evils of the world. It's all money. Yeah. Um, You know, one layer beneath that, you could say that, all right, well, it's not money. It's greed. It's greediness Mm. and wanting more money. And then my opinion Greed doesn't exist. There's no such thing as greed. Really? There are only incentives. 
Mm. You're either incentivized to do something or you're not incentivized or you're incentivized like against it. Right. Right. So it's not that people are inherently greedy. It's that you are constantly weighing incentives of whether you should be doing something or not. Mm. You know, investment bankers, when they first start out, whatever, 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day, they're incentivized to do that because for them, the trade-off is my time as like a 23-year-old doesn't really, it's not really as important as it is to be able to make 200, 250 grand for sure. a year. They're incentivized to do it. Or like a, a conglomerate that's dumping its oil in the river. Right. There's nothing stopping it and it's cheaper for them to just dump it in the river. So it's not that it's a greedy corporation. It's just that they're incentivized to do it that way, that they're doing it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong either way, which way, but it's, you know, people use greed as kind of like a catch-all, but it's a lot more nuanced than that. You got to think about, you know, why is this company, this person doing what they are doing? Right. You know, why is the lion hunting? Because it's incentivized to do so because it's incentivized against death. Right. So it's it's these kind of things that it's it's much deeper than, than people want it to be. They want, want it to, to be realize. a simple fix, but it's For not. Sure. For sure, and which is why I'm sure they've gone ahead and just simplified. Yeah, that, exactly. You know? An it's, entire passage just into like one sense. Like, right. first of all, that's that's not even fair. I mean, that's, right. <laughs> it's like, oh, how can you do that? But like, but it makes sense to you know, like you said, to to vilify yeah. money. Yeah, it, you know, it had to become a much simpler idea. Like, money is bad. Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting because it was like what we were talking about before we started recording where we were saying that, you know, your fear and my fear of something could be very similar, right? but yeah. they are very specific to us. Like they're very, you know, um, subjective to our experiences. And I think that that's basically what you're saying with incentives and, and money is that, you know, it's going to be your own experience that, that is driving you towards something or away from something. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, like fear of clowns. Like, why are you afraid right. of clowns? Like, did you have a traumatic experience when you were a child, or did you watch it? Right. Like, exactly. You know, is it did some clown like you know steal your last piece of birthday cake, or like what? <laughs> you know, the fear of clowns is a very just easy blanket way of just labeling something quickly. Sure. Which is also important. You want to be able to like summarize and estimate, and sure. that's how estimating works. Is just kind of like gathering, but um, there's a lot more layers to it yeah yeah i completely agree and i mean relating to money in that in that way you know money and like fear of it is just like this kind of blanket idea but like the nuances underneath is uh is you know a tumultuous past like too much debt parents never talked about it. our parents got divorced over it i mean whatever it may be everybody has something different and and again communicating with one another with your family and friends and and not even that i mean just communicating with anybody openly about it is a good exercise, a good mental exercise, you know, to, sure. to not be afraid um, to communicate with anybody about it. You know, it's, it's always many more layers than you think it is. And I guarantee you the other person has the same fears that you do. And you'll be less scared or less fearful of it when you realize that that person is just as scared as you are. Love it. It's just, you know, that's what this podcast is all about, helping people to outperform their fears and you guys these are the steps right here that you need to take you know it starts small um and like anything that we've talked about before it's all about building up your confidence when you can build up your confidence you can truly outperform your fear so i love that dude that's great um another thing you brought up in our our pre-interview call uh were a list of words 
that you said a lot of people associate with money, which uh, I wanted to share here. If we can, you want to, you want to read down the list? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. When you told me about the topic, I just like wrote out a bunch of feelings that I felt that other people have felt. Um, it's just uh, shame, love, fear, security, warmth, comfort, denial, hunger, hope, courage, confidence, inadequacy. Mm. And that, that literally just took me like two minutes. Like it was just like verbal diarrhea about all the multitude of things that people are always feeling about money and what it brings to them either in a positive or a negative light. And the beauty is that you can feel all these things all at the same time. Right. Like as soon as you think about money, you can feel all uh, several of these emotions all at once. Yeah. What I, I, and that's exactly it. What I found is that when I was looking over the list, I was like, these are all emotions. Yeah. Like is, is money emotional? Yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all it really is. At the end of the day, it's, it's all based on emotion because money is just something that we came up with. Yeah. Like it's just, we created it out of thin air. It doesn't mean anything. Um, it's not based off of anything like used to be the gold standard, but even that's not based off of anything. Oh, okay. So it's like a precious metal. Like who cares? Right. Like it's, what does that, what does that really mean? Yeah. And so like, even if we didn't have money and it was just like, oh, I've got an abundance of meat or I have an abundance of coal, you know, these, this kind of like self-worth attached to things that you own rather than who you are is very emotional. Mm. And we've, we've forced this onto ourselves to think about money in an emotional way. You know, money is meant to help you achieve dreams, Mm. but people often lose sight of how to actually attain the dream because they think of a dream as kind of like this far off thing. Right. Whereas you could easily attain it if you set up a path for yourself. Right. And so if you actually did something about it, so like, oh, one day I'm going to live in a huge mansion and have a bunch of cars or like one day I'm going to solve world hunger. Right. One day this, one day that, one day will never, ever come for you. Right. Um... But if you actually sat down and wrote out a plan to attain these goals, you realize that they're not dreams, but they are actual things that you can achieve. Um, and you know, just thinking of money as just like this dream scenario for yourself, you're not doing yourself any favors. It's not. It's it's only making it worse. If you're like, oh, one day I'm going to win the lottery. Uh, plenty of people say that, but they actually don't play the lottery. Right. So lottery could be a strategy for you. Right. I think it's a great strategy. It's because it's it's you know. Your your expected return is negative because you're just going to be wasting this dollar right. uh, every week, twice a week, whatever. But at least it's a strategy. At least you've started down the path of at least one strategy. You know, diversify that with like a 401k and a stock portfolio and a decent paying job. But you know, at the same time, you can... <laughs> Those just put all your chips, yeah, you know. Uh, you know, $1 a week is not going to break the bank for anybody. And right, exactly. So then people are like, okay, well, one day when I win the lottery, I win like $500 million, I'm going to do all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. Um, and now I'm pulling a little bit from like Tim Ferriss's like four-hour work week. It's like, okay, well, you have all this money, but what do you want to do with it? Right. Like what is it, what is it all for? Right. It's to attain dreams and wants and needs. Um, so in the four-hour work week, he, you know, Tim Ferriss has – like a, like an exercise and it's been a while since I read it, but just, it's kind of like, what do you want to be? What do you want to achieve? And then what do you want to have? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, what do you want to be? I want to be a black belt in Taekwondo. And then you write out the steps for yourself that it will actually take to get there and how much money it would cost mm. to do that. 
And this is all about thinking of uh, things in total monthly income, so TMI, right? Um, to think about, okay, well, like I want to be a black belt in Taekwondo, I got to go to this dojo, and this dojo costs whatever. And sorry if dojo is the wrong name for Taekwondo. My bad. I, I don't <laughs> think you'll get any blowback yeah. on that. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, so it's going to be like whatever, hundred dollars a month. So I have that. Um, so what do I want to, you know, be, and like what do I want to uh, have like, okay, well I want a, um, whatever I want a BMW. Mm. How much is that going to cost? It's going to cost me all in $500 a month of taxes, insurance and, and all that, all that stuff together. So it's really showing you like this emotional side of you of like things that you really want deeply can be attained through money. But you have to remember the whole point is these things that you actually want to be right, which, which is, which is you as an individual. It's not right. like, Oh, I just want to have a million dollars in the bank. Right. You could do that, but like, what's what's that for? Like, what's the purpose of that for you? Like, right? Are you, you know, is it just the security of it? Because I guarantee, when you get to a million, it's not going to be a million anymore. Right. As you're going to get closer to that number, it's no longer going to be a million. So, it's, you know, in Wall Street, money never sleeps. Like they're asking Josh Brolin's character, he's like, "Oh, you know, how much is enough? Like, what do you want? How, you know, what is your number?" And he's like, "More." Yeah. Right. And it's you know, in, in a way, it's like a mental sickness, but. In other ways, it's very real. Like, yeah. it's, there's always something else. So it's, you know, I, I encourage people to think about um, what they actually want to do. And this is very different than, like, how much you spend because that's all about, like, the new next thing, whatever. Right. But, like, being a black belt in Taekwondo, in my opinion, would be much more fulfilling than just getting the newest, hottest Mercedes out there. So it's, sure. think about it and thinking about your dreams in those kind of terms is, is better. It's healthier. Eric Thomas has this uh, saying where he says, you know, you grind for the goal. I grind for the grind. Oh yeah. And I think that I know I love it. And I think that's a good, a good way of thinking about it. It's like, if you're just making money or trying to attain something, um, for a goal, then it could be a very short sighted, short lived, not so sustainable, um, you know, methodology as opposed to if I just change my, lifestyle or if I just change the way I go about achieving things on a daily basis, you know, um, it could be much more productive, much more sustainable. I started drinking a gallon. Like I wanted to start simple a couple months ago. I think last time we saw each other and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start drinking more water. Mm -hmm. But if I think about this as like a diet, this is why I think diets fail Mm -hmm. because think of uh, people think too far ahead about how much effort it's going to be compounded over months and years and they're like there's no way i can sustain that but so my approach was like you know what tomorrow tomorrow i'm going to start drinking water and i'm going to see if i can crush a gallon and i didn't but at least i got three-fourths of the way there Mm. and i was like okay i'm just going to keep drinking this until it's gone Mm. and then when this is gone i'll buy another one and then that'll be my new challenge and it it was tremendous dude like it, it lasted a good couple months and i you know summer came and i started traveling more and things got out of whack you know routine wise but if at least i was able to prove that theory right whereas like if i need to do something different start small but like you said with the lotto thing just start like don't wait for a perfect moment or strategy or it'll anything. never come it'll never come like you're like you said your one day will always just be a one day if that's the way you think about it were you peeing a lot? <laughs> I wasn't. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I wasn't peeing a lot. That's like great. I wasn't. Expelling. That means that you're actually severely dehydrated because, like, drinking, <laughs> I knew just it. drinking a straight up gallon um, 
with nothing else added. Yeah. If you're not peeing a lot, first of all, it means like you're really dehydrated. I was, I mean, I knew it too because I was lethargic. My lips were always dry. My skin, I'm a dry person anyways, but my skin was horrible. Yeah. And uh, it's funny that you bring that up because we'll we'll be having Igor on again talking health one day. Oh, man, that's like. That's your passion. That's what I'm actually good at. Finance stuff, like, yeah, it's good. But like (laughs) what I really love is uh, all things health. And, you know, I realized this. Yesterday, I was like, you know, I have him talking about finance. Yeah. I really need him on here talking about health. So we'll we'll yeah. talk about that. We'll figure that out. But uh, so let's, let's 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 keep going. I wanted to do something fun. I want to do a little uh, uh, true or false okay. type thing. You know, like all these emotions that you listed out mm-hmm. uh, that that people associate with money. I think that they lead directly to the myths that we have in our culture. About money, so let's do a, a little uh, a true or false myth busting. I love binary, black let's, and white. That's let's my do favorite. it. It's the easiest answer. But but I'm also I'm I'm a little stickler. I'm gonna ask for a short oh, course, essay answer course, as well. Of course. Um, so yeah, here we go. Money myths that need to be immediately debunked. Here we go. Maybe maybe I'll add a little dramatic background music <laughs> to this. So if we can go ahead and cue dramatic music now. Okay, here we go. Thinking of money emotionally, true or false? Um, false. So money should be only thought of logically. Hmm. So your dreams should be emotional. But the money that it's going to take to attain those dreams, that should be clean mathematical logic only. Got it. Number two. Money is a private matter, true or false? False. Um, This stems back to what we were talking about. The more you think of it as your genitalia, the less likely you are to share it with the world. Right. You you need to to have those conversations because without them, you will not get the knowledge that you need to succeed and neither will your close family or friends. Like There won't be a sharing of knowledge and information will die eventually Mm. like if nobody passed on how to you know properly cook the deer after we've caught it we would have we never would have made it out of uh would have made it out of the caves number three my money defines my self-worth and importance definitely false definitely false um you know it's like i was saying it's like it's easy it's uh, it's an easy yardstick, but it's not the best yardstick. It's just the easiest option, but it's not the best option at all. Um, I was reading this book, uh, Driver. So it's about this guy, Alex Roy, who is setting the record from New York to LA. Okay. And so, meaning, uh, sorry, so like for the uninitiated, it's like the land record. So he gets himself a 2002 M5, which is already tugging at the harsh range, one of my favorite cars ever built. In a 2002 M5, him and a co-pilot, they cut across the United States, and I think it was like 32 hours or something. Wow. They, they set the record to get across. The record has since fallen. This was like early 2000s, I think they set the record. Um, the record has fallen, but, uh, but the story is, is amazing. I rec- It's a super easy read, especially if you love cars. Like This will really be great. But in there, so he needs a co-pilot for himself. And so he finds this guy who's a club racer. And a club racer is a guy that the race is like uh, amateur. But, you know, amateur is the wrong way to put it because this guy is basically one of the best drivers that you'll ever meet 
guys that race in amateur races are are incredible incredible racers so right. he's like you know i need a co-pilot it's 32 hours and so this guy agrees and he's like all right before we set on on this journey which could potentially just kill us or land us in jail best right. case scenario um why do you want to do this like i need to know your reason and this guy and i'll, and I'll never forget it and i never even thought of it that way this guy said i want something that money can't buy wow and that, like, when I read that line, it literally gave me chills. Wow. Because I was like, oh, my God, that is, that's brilliant. Right. That is brilliant. And then I started thinking about my own life. What do I do that money can't buy? Right. And so much of my self-worth is based around my athletic ability mm. and how, like, fast I am, how strong I am, how good my engine is, like, all these things. Like, that's how I really measure uh, my self-worth amongst other things, but... When he said that, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that's exactly it. Like you can't you can't buy first place in swimming. Sure. Yeah. You know you can't buy um, a great physique. You know you right. can't buy health. Right. Like Western medicine tries to let let you think that you can buy health, but you can't really. Right. Like taking a pill is not the same as just being preventative, and um, so that that's what really did it for me. Is just like you know it's not you're not defined by it. You're defined by the things that you have earned. Right. It cost me money to go to the pool, but what I earned in that pool is it's who I am. For sure. Can't be bought. Number, what is this, four. I shouldn't offend people with how much I make. True or false? This one might be a little... So this one's this one's a tricky... The wording on it is yeah, tricky. Right. <laughs> so um, I'm going to say false for a few reasons. One, you shouldn't be afraid to offend people. Um... You know, constantly walking around that you're going to offend somebody, nobody's ever going to achieve anything. You're never going to take any risks and society will just cease to um, grow and probably even cease to exist if all we do is we're always afraid. It's a very PC society nowadays, particularly in America. Right. Um, we're all just, you know, walking on eggshells all the time. I think that's wrong. So that prevents communication um, and it prevents, you know, growth. At the same time, like, I should not offend. Yeah, you shouldn't go around being a douchebag all the time. Right, exactly. But don't think that what you make is the thing that's going to be offending people. So just just think of it in, in that light instead. Instead of just simply like, oh, if I tell this guy how much money I make, it'll offend him or maybe I'll be offended. And, you know, it brings us back to, like, fear of being, like, the loser or whatever. But, um, you know, that, that openness is what... You know, if the other person that you're speaking to is somebody that you care about, that openness will actually bring you together. You're not going to say in a douchey way, like, oh, you only made 100 grand last year, I made 150, like GFY. Right. But, you know, having a dialogue about it and be like, oh, okay, well, my portfolio earned uh, 10%, uh, and you told me that yours only earned 6 like, what? how are you thinking about it? Like, what's, what's constituting your portfolio? Here's what's constituting mine. Like, here's how I think about it. Like, I have these dividend-paying stocks, I got these ETFs, and... And that kind of thing. So it's, you know, don't be afraid to offend. I like it. Number five, debt is bad. Oh yeah, this is this is the biggest this is the biggest false uh, of all. Listen up, uh, debt <laughs> is bad is false. Why is that? So this is this is one of the biggest misconceptions. Um, so, you know, to kind of summarize, debt makes the world go round. Mm. Debt is the reason why you are able to buy anything. Mm. Debt is the reason why you are able to literally eat and feed yourself. 
um, were brought up again socially and you know and incorrectly like parents will bring up their kids incorrectly saying like oh never have any debt mm. um, I'm not promoting you going into credit card debt which is like 28% or whatever whatever number it's at now which is first of all like complete robbery mm. I mean just the fact that credit card company is like 28% is just robbery but what's even worse is the people that have revolving credit card debt so if you have more than a zero balance on every credit card if you can't pay off your credit card every month then do not use it gotcha 28% is insane yeah like that number is just it's ludicrous you're but talking they, interest rates right? interest rate yeah so so for those of you that don't understand it, so if you if you have a if you carry a balance, meaning like, all right, I spent a thousand bucks on my credit card, the bill comes due, and I only pay five hundred, and five hundred of it rolls forward, they're gonna charge you twenty eight percent annualized. So you take twenty eight percent, you divide that by twelve, and that's how much they charged you for that um, for that month. That's insane. You are spending beyond your means, and that's completely incorrect, and you should not be doing that. The debt that I'm talking about is um, a mortgage, for example. So mortgage rates are historically low. Now's a good time to take out a mortgage only if you can afford the payments. But think of it this way. Think of think of interest rates this way. If you can take out money at 3% and then invest that money into something that's gonna dra- generate 5%, you are net, making the math easy, you're net 2%. Right. That is a smart investment. Right. So that debt is helping you to build your finances and helping you to build your assets. Right. So in many ways, that's housing, especially in California. So typically, you're going to buy a house, right? And your interest rate, let's just say, is four percent. Housing market, who knows what it'll do going forward? But historically, you know, it'll return six or seven percent. Right. So you spend four percent over the course of a thirty-year mortgage. You spend four percent, and then after thirty years, you've made seven percent per year. Mm. So you've been netting three percent. And so in that sense, debt is good. Gotcha. Debt's bad when you're spending beyond your means. And, you know, if you can only afford a $500,000 house, but you're trying to buy a $2 million house, that's one of the many reasons that we got into the financial collapse to begin with. People thought they could afford a lot more house than they could. It was exasperated by, you know, predatory lending and the banks and the government and the people. I want to set the record straight. Everybody was at fault for 2008. It wasn't just the government. It wasn't just the banks. It wasn't just the people. It was everybody working in this like huge, you know, clockwork of, of shit where they, they all forced themselves and incentivized themselves, um, to take out all this debt. And I I remember everybody kind of like being in a vacuum or like this, I don't know, just be kind of oblivious. It, it didn't, it didn't seem like a shock mm-hmm. when when the crash happened. Yeah. Like, it it kind of seemed like we were just avoiding a problem that was growing bigger and bigger. That yeah. you know, but now that's really interesting. It's just uh, it's just tulip mania over and over. Yeah. Um, I mean, Wikipedia tulip mania, but it's like tulip bulbs shot out, shot the price of tulip bulbs in a very short amount of time shot up by thousands of percents. And so people were buying, 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 and then one day somebody's like, "Wait, these are worthless." Yeah. And then boom, it came crashing down. And that's 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 how market crashes work. That was in the 1600s? Yeah, one of those. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, I remember learning about that in my uh, my Western uh, European history class, and yeah. and uh, actually my teacher was obsessed with the tulip crash. Yeah. She that was she that was our longest unit 
yeah. that that she taught and yeah. ended up being the most interesting because of, you know it was just really cool that tulips like you were saying it could have been meat it could have been something else but like that was the major uh, uh, standard for currency yeah you know back then so alright number six I think this is our last one it doesn't really matter what you have it's what you spend you kind of touched on this before doesn't really matter what you have it's what you spend true or false um let me put it this way no it's, if it's, this is my mentality <laughs> yeah is it true that's or false? that's obviously false yeah uh is it true in the sense of american society thinks that way yes that's yeah. true right, right. <laughs> uh, so if it was a multiple choice test and i'm trying to get an a then it's true but yeah. um it should be it should be false um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a very sick way of looking at your life and what, you know, what you've achieved up until this point, mm-hmm. you know, people, and another reason why, you know, people don't communicate about it is because some people value money above relationships. And so some people value how much they have in the bank over their wife mm-hmm. or over their husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that just breeds all kind of animosity because people can feel it. It's very mm-hmm. difficult to hide your true emotions, and so sure. the relationships where the spouse and I, you know, I, I bring a spouse a lot, but you know, it could be like pe- people care more about money than they do about their own kids, I right. mean, and that happens all the time. But yeah. it's, people feel that, and so that breeds animosity, and and uh, it's one of the closer relationships that we have in in yeah. adult life. You yeah. Know? So I think. Spouse or partner or whatever. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, so that's, you know, it it generates a lot of problems for a lot of people and they uh, they miss out on what's truly important in life, which is the relationships, the communication, the love and all these right. things. And they, you know, they substitute love of money for the love of, you know, your family. Right. That's, so. Right. Very true. I think uh, at this point I wanted to bring up a song. If you guys haven't heard it yet, Lil Dicky's song. Save that money, D A T money. It's a great song because uh, you know, like you said over the phone uh, earlier when we were talking, that uh, that money and the whole money culture it's 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 a it's a construct, and uh, particularly in American culture, it's exemplified. Well, I think having traveled a little bit, I know that American culture kind of sets the standard on the world you know platform, so it's kind of world culture at this point. But you know, um, it, it's set. Um, Money and, and, you know, the whole idea of it doesn't really matter what you have, it's what you spend is exemplified by three genres of people uh, who are idolized most. Public figures, you know, like eccentric billionaires, mm. Kardashian. I would call the Kardashians public figures before celebrities probably. Mm. Uh, rappers and then professional athletes. Mm. So the song Save That Money is hilarious simply for the fact that you have a professional rapper rapping about saving money. Uh, and telling that the whole culture has it wrong that you guys are bragging about, you know, what you don't have building, you know, accumulating debt, trying to, you know, uh, show off this flashy lifestyle when instead you really should be putting, you know, I think he said at one point, like, uh, 401k rolling over bands, you know, and it's just a hilarious song, but, uh, yeah, you guys check that out. All right, Igor, what are the top three things you want people to know about money to help them better understand it and thereby be less fearful of it and what it can actually do uh, to and for their lives. Um, 
So the number one thing, and it's 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 a way to think about it, but it's also a to do is mm. track your expenses. So the very if anybody who wants to just begin on the path to help themselves in any way, they need to understand knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And so having the knowledge will enable you much more than you think it will. So if if your listeners, if somebody has never tracked their expenses, this will be one of the most eye-opening things right. <laughs> you have done in a long time. So literally sit down and you're going to, in two phases, one, you're going to write out all the expenses that you think you have. So just go through everything and you can categorize it however you want, but just get everything down and get it down to like the last dollar. So try to round down to dollars, leave out the cents. Um, and try to write down everything that you think you're spending, right? So that's exercise. That's part. Of, that's the first step of the exercise. Second step of the exercise is you're actually going to track. Mm. So on your smartphone, just have an app, um, and you're going to write down everything that you spend every single day, every single dollar on everything, all the bills, all the auto bill pays that you have at the end of the month, your credit card statement, all these things. You're going to write everything down. I guarantee you, you're going to miss. I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but there's going to be a fat chunk that you missed right. that you think you're spending. Right. So this this is step number one. When you have that number of your monthly expenses, and do this for like a quarter because some things only come up quarterly. Right. Like you're paying your property taxes only every six months usually. So do it for a quarter. Do it for three months. Uh, but at the very minimum, a month. And that usually catches almost all your expenses. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you can tweak them, add stuff later as you go through it. But... Mm-hmm. This is going to give you the knowledge necessary to make real changes. And you're going to look at it and be like, wow, that's how much I spent on clothing? Like, wow. that's insane. Like, why would I spend that much money? Or like, that's how much I spent on eating out? Right. Like, if I just cook for myself, I could cut that in, you know, I can cut that in half. Or I can cut that by like two-thirds or something. Right. And you're like, well, that was an extra couple hundred bucks for me at the end of the day to either, you know, save for something or do whatever else I want with it. So that's step, step one is that. And... You know, a lot of the time, people people fool themselves right. into thinking that they're not spending that much. So every time, like you get on, like uh, get on like Nike.com and you just go on like a huge spending binge, right? You think that that's rare, but if you actually tracked it, you'll see that that's a lot <laughs> less rare than you thought it was. Right? Your Amazon spending habits, that instant gratification, is coming around way more often than you think. Yep. And that's, and that's all psychological. It's all emotional. It's very much like people's sugar addictions. Right. Like majority of America has a has a unaddressed sugar addiction and they fool themselves into thinking that they don't have a problem. Right. Like, oh, I can stop anytime I want, but you can't. People are riding this constant wave of like ups and downs and ups and downs. You wake up in the morning and you're hungry and you reach for like bread or some kind of like processed carbohydrate that gives you an instant kick, an instant high. Mm. And then when you come crashing off that high after like an hour and a half, you're going to need another kick. So you go right. for like a coffee break, grab a quick donut or a croissant, you're riding the high again and then you start crashing again and then you need some more bread. You get like a sandwich with some like sauce on it, which has plenty of sugar in it to begin with, another high, another crash and it's just all day long. And so people don't realize how often they're doing that. Or even better, like this, I, I love this line. It's like, that's healthy, right? Like it's like some guy goes and picks up some some food and he's almost justifying it to himself. Like somebody, whatever, orders pizza for the right, office. Right. But it's like a veggie pizza. It's yeah. got vegetables. Oh, on it's top. veggie pizza. That's a, that's healthy, right? Right. And so he's like he's like trying to convince himself verbally. It's like an it's like your own psychological cue. You're like for telling sure. yourself, like, hey, it's healthy. 
and you're also trying to get less judgment from the people around you. Like, oh, this is healthy, right? Right. Or and then one better than that is like, oh, I've earned this donut. Right. I've yeah. Like we donut. we treat yeah. the bad things in yeah. life. Yeah. And I just use the word. We use it as a treat. Yeah. You know, I've I've said it many times. I am guilty of the sugar addiction. I know that. It's something I've struggled with. I know. Um, you were sitting here gesturing at the Gatorade I'm yeah, drinking. Chugging that Gatorade, bro. <laughs> you know? But, um, but yeah, I've used that in the past. Like, yeah. I've used those words. Like, you know, oh, I've been good. I, you know, I, I deserve a treat. And it's like, it hit me one day when I was like, I'm saying that I need to treat myself with something that's bad for me. Like these are the words and, and this is why I love what we're talking about, what we do. I love this podcast because it all boils down to the rhetoric that we use, the semantics of our everyday life. And I think that too many people don't understand that it's the words that we use that screw us over the most, you know, usually and, and leads to these um, uh, these mentalities that will allow us to get into these situations. So. Oh, that's great. So that's that's the first thing is is track your expenses. Yeah. What, what were the other two? Uh, the second one is debt, and what we were talking about debt. That just having just a blanket thought, which again, like we were saying earlier, is easy to just have like one blanket idea that debt sure. is bad. Yeah. So that's it's incorrect to think that way. Certain debt is bad. Certain debt is good. And distinction between the two is important. So debt that. Um, is low interest rate. So if you, you know, typically on a house, it's usually some of the lowest debt that you can get. So it's 4%. That's one thing. Whereas credit card revolving debt, 28%, that's insane. Mm. And there's a whole spectrum in between. You know, you can take out a business loan, might cost you 10%, but you think that your business is going to give you ROI, return on investment of like 50%. Right. So you're winning that 40. So that's something like that. You just have to always weigh what you're going to be using the debt for. Gotcha. Um, so just always remember that and, you know, use debt to build up assets in a smart way. And so... How could people go about doing that? Like um, short examples. So for example, you have, uh, let's just say you have a house and uh, you've been paying it off for a while. So you built up some equity or the market's been going up. And so the house has appreciated. So you have equity in the house. You can take out a loan against the equity. And usually it's going to be like uh, maybe prime plus one, prime plus one and a half. And what that is, prime rate, which is currently like three and a half uh, percent. That's kind of like what prime rate is what you would give like the best borrower. Mm. It's They're considered prime borrowers. Gotcha, so gotcha. It's prime plus one, meaning prime plus one percent. Because home equity line of credit, a HELOC, is a little bit riskier. They're going to charge you a little bit more. So it's all like commiserate with risk and reward. So it's roughly 4.5%, right? If you have an investment that you know or predict will give you 7%, 8%, things like that, then that would be a good move. You take out money at 4.5, you make 8.5, you capture 3.5 for yourself. That's the idea. That's that's how you build that up. Okay. Um, and then kind of off the back, like kind of combining one and two, just some quick to-dos for people. Uh, if you're just trying to get your finances in order, you track the finances, get all that in line. Now you want to look at your debt. And rank it in terms of what's the most expensive debt. Mm. Most expensive is almost always going to be credit card debt. For sure. And so before you make before you make any investments, before you make any other any other changes and taking out more debt, things like that, look at what your revolving debt is if you have any, okay. and then wipe that down as far as you can. Look at what you're spending. Start spending less. 
use some of that money to pay down your really high revolving debt as fast as possible. And then after that, you need to build up a reserve of cash. So in case something happens, you lose your job, anything happens, the safest thing is to have six months of expenses. So those expenses that you did, take that number, multiply it by six, and that should just sit in a savings account untouched. And then once that's done, now you start thinking about, does your company offer a 401k? Max that puppy out. Do you have an IRA, investment retirement account? Max that puppy out. Um, and then after that, you can start thinking about bigger investments, maybe stock portfolios, bonds, that, that kind of thing. Wow. So. And that was two and three, or is that? No, that's kind of like one and two together. And, and then two number together. three, um, it's uh, just like a self-serving uh, thing. So uh, my favorite movie is Fight Club. Okay. And uh, the, uh, the famous line from that, it, Tyler Durden, but it's really Chuck Palahniuk who's like the, the author. And I wrote this down so I wouldn't butcher it. <laughs> uh, you are not your job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. You are not the car you drive. You're not the contents of your wallet. Mm. So that's the most important thing to remember is that you're not made up of these possessions that are completely made up. Yeah. You know, don't let society tell you what's important. Figure out what's important for yourself. Your love for your mother, your father is much more important than society telling you about the new Maserati or Kim Kardashian telling you about her new makeup line that came out. None of that matters. Which he knew about. Just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's either it's uh it's what's the sister's name? Uh, Kylie. So there, yeah. So there's all these Kylie like, and yeah, Kim. She's but, like almost a billionaire or whatever. Yeah, yeah which is yeah. I mean that's impressive. You know, but, on the one hand I'm like oh god, and then on the other hand I'm like you created something out of absolutely nothing. Exactly. You well, can't knock it. Well played. Right. Exactly. Well played. But I also knew about it. So <laughs> there there's that. I, I am unashamed. I watch uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians with my wife quite regularly. Um, but anyways, uh, no, those are great. I think those are three great solid takeaways for people, uh, listening to start incorporating in their life. I know I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm kind of giving you this, uh, this blank deep stare because I'm also thinking about my finances and how I need to, you know, start incorporating that, especially with the brand growing, you know, I'm, um, branching out and, you know, formalizing the business and stuff like that. And so that's a whole nother degree of, of, financial thoughts and planning and stuff so it's it'd be nice to get my you know my house in order before start thinking about you know moving forward with the growing the business even more but um yeah that's that's great um i want to thank you for being on the show but you know i wanted to, to say this really quick um you and my wife have the same birthday and uh you know, of course, Sheen being the one who introduced us. But uh, one thing I can say about you both is that try as you might to sometimes, you know, keep people in situations at an arm's length. Um, you both have a tremendous heart and you you share your knowledge with people in such a way that their lives will only benefit from that. But you guys have this uh, fervorance for sharing your knowledge just to help the people that you, you care about, you know, in your lives. And sometimes even I've noticed even sometimes strangers, you know, people that you've met through us at different functions or whatever, like you'll share your heart and your passion just to see and hope that their lives will benefit from some way. So I wanted to acknowledge you for that. And thank you for taking your time out to share, you know, your knowledge with um, hundreds of, you know, perfect strangers today. And, uh, you know, for, you know, as much as you don't think that, um, you know, it's, it's 
that big of a deal. I know it is to a lot of people listening. I know it's it's, it's opened up some eyes and uh, probably shed some light on some stuff that they've tried to ignore in their own lives. So, thanks, man. This this is a real pleasure. I, I appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. Well, hey. Take it easy. And uh, until next time. Yep. Oh, oh, I hope you were paying attention. I want to thank my brother Igor Litvak for such an awesome time together and for sharing so much valuable information with us today. Remember, wherever you're listening, be sure to follow us and have your notifications turned on to be notified the moment a new episode drops. If you're listening on iTunes, please rate the show and leave us a review. It's my vision to touch the lives of the masses and add value to the world. And every like, rating, and review only helps me to further realize that vision. Remember, guys, closed mouths don't get fed. If you don't understand something, ask questions and seek understanding. Because if we seek to understand more, we can learn to fear less. Remember, you can find me almost anywhere online. Coach Lane on Instagram, that's where I hang out the most. Thanks again for joining us today. Remember, whatever it is, go out there and get after it. I'm Coach Lane. I'll catch you on the flip.